So where are we? What are we doing? We have my farewell party, which I call my self-deportation party. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. And you just heard Ney Alvarez, a senior producer on the show, talking to Tawheda Wahabzada back in January of this year. Tawheda has lived in the U.S. all her life, but she wasn't born here. She's undocumented. And for a long time, she's felt helpless over her uncertain immigration status. This year, she made the hard decision to self-deport, move back to Canada. Nay was there for this big send-off. And so was Stacey Samuel, our show's executive producer. They were invited to this unusual party. I want to say thank you all so much for coming to my self-deportation party. It really, it sucks being barred from America for 10 years, but I'm really glad that I have people from all parts of my life, from all stages of my awkward life. So my heart is full. I feel like I'm hashtag blessed at this point. Um... Today, we're bringing you a story about immigration, the fear of deportation, and two young people who took their fate into their own hands. We're staying with Tawhida right now, at this moment of goodbye. This is Nay and Stacy at the party, talking to Tawhida and her friends. It's already, what, 11 almost? Yeah. I mean, some of these people you're not going to see for a while. So how are you feeling now? I have a mixture of emotions. It's really, maybe I'm in, I think I'm more in denial of saying goodbye. You know, I have to say this party is so joyful. It is such a celebration. Why is this not depressing? I think it's because of Tahida's very positive attitude. But I think it's also like over the time we have built this community over here. But at the same time, like when she told me that like she's leaving, it just like seemed like really unfair. And she spent her, like, almost entire life in the U.S., and she has to leave the country. It's not a matter of being able to survive somewhere. It's about looking at where your roots are and understanding that home is here, and you can't just pick up home and take it somewhere else with you. That's not how it works. To understand how we got here, to people like Tawheda deciding to leave the country, the only country she's ever called home, rather than hope for a route to citizenship, we need to talk about U.S. immigration policy. Nearly 20 years ago, U.S. lawmakers introduced something called the Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors Act, or the DREAM Act. The idea was this. If you were brought to the U.S. when you were a kid and you grew up here, went to school here, haven't broken any laws, you should have a chance to stay as a permanent resident. That law failed to pass in 2001, or at any of the other times it was introduced in Congress. But in 2012, then-President Barack Obama announced a kind of workaround. If Congress wouldn't pass a law to make this happen, President Obama would change immigration policy himself. 
for the people now known as dreamers. These are young people who study in our schools, they play in our neighborhoods, they're friends with our kids, they pledge allegiance to our flag. They are Americans in their heart, in their minds, in every single way but one, on paper. He introduced something called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA. DACA has given more than 700,000 undocumented people a reprieve for the last eight years. But it was only ever supposed to be a temporary stopgap. And now it's in front of the U.S. Supreme Court with a decision expected any day. We wanted to talk to an expert to explain how that happened. This is Steve Yale-Lair. I teach immigration law at Cornell Law School. It's called DACA because it's Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, D-A-C-A. Deferred action simply means that they're low priority for deportation. It does not legalize their status. As part of that two-year initial deferral of their deportation, they were and are authorized to get a work permit. And many people think that is the same as a legal status, but technically it's not. That means DACA hasn't eliminated the threat of deportation for these young people. It's just made them less of a priority. So we had DACA until President Trump came into office in early 2017. Then they decided that they wanted to terminate the DACA program. First, in September of 2017, they said, well, we're going to give Congress six months to see if Congress can come up with a legislative solution to protect DREAMers. Congress failed to act within that six-month window. And so the Trump administration said, well, we're going to go ahead and terminate it. At that point, people sued in federal court. And several courts have said, sorry, but the way you are terminating the DACA program is illegal because it really should go through notice and comment rulemaking. And it's that aspect of the termination that now is before the U.S. Supreme Court. And that means for those more than half a million people in the U.S., everything rests on what the nine justices of the court decide in the spring. But really, their fate has been hanging in the balance for years. While lawmakers battle over immigration, we wanted a glimpse at the future. What if DACA doesn't exist anymore? So that's why we decided to talk to Tawheda, who made the choice to stop waiting and wondering, and left. My name is Tawheda Wahabzada. I am 29 years old. There are eight letters in my first name, nine letters in my last name. Thank goodness I don't have a middle name. Our executive producer, Stacey Samuel, is going to take Tawheda's story from here. They sat down for a Zoom call. So I should let you know, Tawheda is my cousin. As you can hear, she's low-key funny and we're related in a crazy kind of way. So basically what I tell my friends is that you are the cousin of my cousin which is a little bit confusing, but basically um, my uncle is married to your aunt and that's how we're related. Tawhida's family fled Afghanistan during the war there in the early 80s. They left after her grandfather was imprisoned and then released. My parents met when they were refugees in Peshawar, Pakistan. 
Her mom, my auntie Shala, was already a university student. She made it to America. Uh, my mom actually had a fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh, so she spent the late 80s in Pennsylvania. However, um, she moved to Toronto to marry my dad, and that's how I was born in Toronto. How did your parents come to the United States, and why did they leave Toronto? They were already refugees. Why leave Canada? This time it was for economic reasons. My parents did not have any um, career growth. So it, it boiled down to economic growth. Tawhida and her folks moved to Nevada, where an uncle had an established business. They could be close to relatives. They could start over. I grew up in Carson City, Nevada. I've always known that, um, like, I've seen myself as American. But I've always been aware that others may not have seen me as American. She found out she wasn't technically American when she went to take the test for her driver's permit. The clerk told her her ID wasn't valid. So that's how I figured out my status. And can you imagine that just being a teenager, having all of that teenage angst while living in a small town in Nevada, a an area where many people have to drive. And in a way, having a driver's license is a rite of passage into being a teenager. I remember in high school, people would have those little lanyards of their um, key or of their keychain as a way to show off. But even then, she knew she was blocked for more than a driver's license. She was shut out of the American dream. Being undocumented, especially before DACA, kind of tarnished my independence in many ways. And I just felt like a burden for just relying on so many people. I had a lot of shame. I was ashamed of being undocumented. For years, she told no one outside of her family about her status. But she saved, and she went off to college, and she graduated in May 2012, just in time for DACA to take effect. The day the president announced it from the Rose Garden was a big moment. This is a temporary stopgap measure that lets us focus our resources wisely while giving a degree of relief and hope to talented, driven, patriotic young people. It is the right thing to do. To this day, she still says the announcement of DACA was the happiest day of her life. She was 22 and would be able to use her education and legally work. But the growing threat of being deported worsened. It could unravel everything she'd built. I couldn't pursue opportunities that had frequent traveling because as a DACA recipient, my ability to travel abroad was very restricted even during the Obama administration. And then came 2016 and Donald Trump. DACA is a very, very difficult subject for me, I will tell you. To me, it's one of the most difficult subjects. We'll see what happens with DACA. But we want securing the border and a wall. Day one, my first hour in office, those people are gone. We're going to take our country back, folks. This is a movement. We're going to take our country back. For Tawhida, uncertainty was now full-blown anxiety. 
She'd kept her immigration status a secret, but then late last year, she decided to announce it in a big way to everyone. She wrote an op-ed, and it was published in the New York Times. No need to deport me. This dreamer's dream is dead. I love the United States, but I will leave my country with no hope of returning. While I once felt hopeful about a future here in my country, my hopes have been shattered repeatedly. There were many close calls for a permanent solution, yet my very existence in my country remains in jeopardy. I don't like being this vulnerable. So she packed up her life. She had that party to say goodbye to her friends and family. And she flew to Toronto. She's able to travel internationally now. She got to go to a work conference overseas. But it's hard. She's barred from re-entering the U.S. for a decade. She misses home. And she's now an immigrant once again. A lot of my other relatives that live in the U.S., like my grandmother, my uncles, my aunts, they're not getting any younger. So for the next 10 years, I'll have family members that will age. I will have friends and cousins that will marry, that will have kids, and I won't be able to be part of those moments. I really didn't think I would be this emotional. The reality is hitting me, or it's actually, I'm actually now seeing the reality. She still wants to come back one day. Maybe it's for my own sanity that I'm holding out for some hope in the future after the Trump administration. I wanted to be seen as American, as someone who has overcome a ton of obstacles. I just didn't want to be pitied. The insecurity and fear that Tawhida felt, she's not alone. We spoke to another dreamer who equally felt he was out of choices. My name is Mauricio Lopez and I'm 26 years old. And Ney, our senior producer who's covered immigration for many years, is going to take us through his story. Mauricio was brought to the United States when he was three years old. His mother was fleeing domestic violence. They settled in North Carolina. Uh, I got DACA when I was 18, just after graduating high school, around 2012. Now, he's in Mexico City, and just like Tawhida, he's self-deported, but under different circumstances. Mauricio, growing up undocumented, was it a secret in your home? You know, it was never a secret. We remember crossing the border, basically. <laughs> like many American families, they struggled to make ends meet. And then, when Mauricio was 16, his brother was deported. My brother got deported basically for accumulating traffic violations and what could have been a regular detention, maybe a couple of months being detained in the detention center, was three years being detained. For three years, his brother was confined in a detention center before being deported back to Mexico. 
That was when Mauricio was in high school, but then he became a DACA recipient. I asked him how it changed his life. It did make an impact in my life because I was able to, to have access to, I guess, the American dream, <laughs> you know, even though it was restricted. Even though he could now get a driver's license and a work permit, like many other dreamers, he couldn't get financial aid to go to college or other benefits. I'm not saying that having DACA is useless. No, it's actually, it's wonderful, you know, and I'm glad they, you know, we were given this opportunity and that I had it. I tried to stay motivated because I would say, you know, okay, this will give me a path to citizenship. The economic struggles and the fact that his family was divided with his brother being deported took a toll on him. Because of me focusing on money and, you know, how to survive, I got carried away and I started accumulating as well traffic tickets. And one night, unluckily, I didn't do a full stop at a stop sign and I got pulled over and I got a ticket because of that. So my DACA had expired and my lawyer was telling me that I had to get those charges missed before I renew my DACA and then Donald Trump got elected. I was almost finished with my community service to get my charges missed, but then panic came in. Lawyers and judges say they're seeing more ICE arrests at court buildings since President Trump took office. And that, they contend, is leading to fewer undocumented immigrants showing up for court dates. Some attorneys say their clients have been detained by ICE agents right outside the courthouse doors. Attorneys tell us they have never seen anything like it. Federal immigration agents arresting a man inside the Travis County Courthouse. And I fear that if I would go to court, that I would, I would be detained like my brother and, you know, my mom would have to see that again. So I just became, you know, purposeless, you know, in a country where, where they didn't even want me in the first place, where I was just living in a golden cage. You know, I would be, I would feel just like a cash cow, you know, just working, working, um, paying taxes and all that and not being cared about. I had my back against the wall, you know. I, 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 if I had stayed there without my, my work permit, I was gambling my, my freedom. Mauricio and his mom had to make a decision. They decided it was time to go back to Mexico, the country they once left for fear of their safety. Uh, it was difficult, you know, I, I even went through depression the first, like, year and a half, almost two years. Because, um, I mean, I felt, even though I returned voluntarily, I felt like I was, like, forced, you know, so I was just like, oh, I just left, you know. That was a challenge. Now, three years later, Mauricio is living in Mexico City. There, in a way, he has found his American dream by opening his own English academy. Can you describe for us how does it feel to be free? It feels amazing because growing up, being an alien, being a non-citizen, you never knew what type of benefits you would have. And just feeling for the first time that I could do anything, I could go to college, I could open business, ask for business loans. If I buy a house here, I won't have to worry about 
being deported or being returned and losing that, you know? I, I miss the fried chicken. There's a place called Bojangles, Chick-fil-A. I, you know, I miss, I miss uh, the diversity as well. Because in the U.S., you know, that's a country of immigrants. So you have people from all around the world, which I, I miss here. But, you know, just knowing that, that I can grow, you know, that I can contribute a lot, help. It just feel, it feels amazing. And, and it's something that, you know, money can't buy. America loves you, right? But it only loves you in certain conditions. We are days away from finding out the Supreme Court's decision on DACA. So we asked Professor Yale Lair about the possible outcome. And he shared his very sobering predictions of how the U.S. Supreme Court could decide to let the current government in the policy. The Trump administration then needs to decide how they're going to terminate the program. And there, the administration has options. The first is they could be draconian and say, you know, the day after the Supreme Court decision, we hereby terminate the DACA program and everyone in the DACA program is automatically deportable on that day and we're putting you into deportation proceedings. I think that scenario is pretty unlikely because we simply do not have enough immigration judges to handle another 600,000 deportation cases. I think a more likely scenario is the Trump administration will have sort of a phased termination of the DACA program. And uh, therefore, over time, the people who currently have, you know, six months or a year or two years of DACA status will see that their work permits and their status expires. And at that point, they will become deportable and they may end up in deportation proceedings. The Dreamers don't know what's on the other side of all of this. But if the Supreme Court allows the Trump administration to end DACA, hundreds of thousands of people are going to have to face the decision that Mauricio and Tawheda made to leave. That or the decision will be made for them. So it's been a week after I self-deported and I think this is a clip that I was afraid of recording because this entire week I've been crying a lot. I think it's because I'm mourning my past in a way. Like, all the years that I built my life in America, the community that I developed, and so forth. Tawhida has been sending us voice memos from Toronto over these past few months while her new life settles around her. She left the U.S. because staying meant her path forward was uncertain. But she said she still feels that way. And I think it's fear due to uncertainty of where I'm going. And I think I have a ton of fear, like, did I make the right decision? This period in my life is kind of like the darker period of my life because I have no idea what the next year will hold. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nay Alvarez and Stacey Samuel, with Priyanka Tilvey, Tina Kisbe, 
Alexander Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is the Take Sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Zainab Majoka and Ali Hamza, the hosts of Tawhida's Deportation Party, and to everyone who was there that night and lent us their voice. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, go to this episode's description. You'll find extra information about the topic, but also our social media handles. Use them to get in touch at AJ the Take. We'll be back.